0: Now we take a lot of pride in our freedom and we're pretty patriotic uh, people, right? And uh, I know you have plans for this week for July 4. We 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 celebrate, you know, with cookouts or day on the lake or fireworks, picnics, just a lot of different ways we we get together as family with friends and we have a lot of fun and the truth is there's a lot of history uh, to support that way of celebrating July 4. You go back to the very first one in 1776, that very first Independence Day up in Philadelphia after the Continental Congress approved the Declaration of Independence. There were there were fireworks that evening and people burning candles in their windows at night and bonfires. There were cannons shooting on ships and on land. You know, they're on the, the river in Philadelphia. There were soldiers that spontaneously just... Formed parades down the streets. There, there was just a lot of celebration, a lot of shouting, and uh, kind of like we do. people just got together and, and, and had fun. But George Washington and the Continental Army were not in Philadelphia on July 4, 1776, they were in New York. And it took three days before General Washington learned about the Declaration of Independence being unanimously approved. Heard about it on July 7, but he did not get formal notification from the civilian government until July 9. And when he got that, it included in the packet a copy of the declaration and it had the army gather in different public squares and leaders stand and read aloud the entire Declaration of Independence to the soldiers. And when that happened, they all cheered and were excited. And, and uh, then it was interesting. Some of the soldiers joined with some civilians in New York and marched down Broadway to a, to a place where there was this, this big statue of King George III of England. He was uh, sitting on a horse dressed in clothing like a Roman emperor, and it was massive. Uh, it stood on a, on a uh, marble pedestal, if you will, that I think was about 10 feet tall. So we're talking about a big statue that weighed about two ton. It was made of lead and covered with gold. And those soldiers and civilians threw ropes around it and they tugged and the ropes broke and they put more ropes around it and tugged again and pulled it over, fell to the ground. And and uh, the first thing they did was cut off George's head and uh, disfigured it a little bit. And then they took the the, the, the body and the horse and they just beat it into pieces, and it was loaded onto a ship and taken to a foundry. And all of that lead was melted down and then shaped into musket balls to be used by the Continental Army in the American Revolution. And they just loved the idea that they were shooting British soldiers with lead from King George's statue. And you can get the irony of, of, of that. And, and so, you know, we've always had within us as, as a nation, as a people, this this streak of independence, this streak of rebellion, this streak of 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 freedom, and as Americans and even as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, who you know have lived in this country since birth or adopted it uh, later in life, uh, we're patriotic and we cherish we cherish freedom and we react strongly when we feel there's any kind of threat against our freedom. Isn't that true? And uh, we appreciate the men and women who serve in the military. We honor them. We recognize them because uh, we wouldn't be where we are uh, without them. We understand that we have the privilege of voting. Not everybody has that in the world. Uh, Not everybody's always had that in this country, to be honest. But we celebrate that every citizen is able to vote. We celebrate uh, the, uh, the ability that we, we have to participate in public life, to run for office, to serve in elective office, to, to, to bring influence to bear on our culture. We, we're thankful for all of those now, those, are, those are blessings that not everybody, in fact, throughout history, most people who've lived on planet Earth have not enjoyed those blessings. We do enjoy them. Aren't you thankful for that? Just think, express your thanksgiving for all those blessings. But, but, are you able to hear a warning? Not a warning from me as your pastor, but a warning from Jesus Christ Himself. A warning that at times in my own life I've personally struggled to, to hear and heed. A warning that you may struggle to hear and heed. But a warning that each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ need to hear because he is the one who sounded it. Before I show, I show you the verse on the screen, let me give you the backdrop. The backdrop. In Mark chapter 8, and if you have your Bibles, you can open it there, Jesus fed 4,000. You'll remember he had earlier fed 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and a little fish. Now, later he does another miracle and he feeds 4,000 people with a small amount of food again. And after he does that miracle, the Pharisees, a conservative religious group, comes to Jesus and they ask him for a sign. Now, they're not asking Jesus to do a miracle. That's not what they mean when they say, give us a sign. Because they had seen Jesus perform miracles many times. In fact, earlier in Mark's gospel, they said that he performed all of these miracles by the power of Satan. So they knew he could do it. They just didn't think he was doing it by the power of God. When they asked for a sign, what they were really asking for was for Jesus to do something that, 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 that caused God the Father in heaven from his throne to make it absolutely crystal clear, to absolutely prove to them, prove to them beyond any doubt, prove to them that Jesus was who he said he was. That he was really God the Son. Sounds like some people today, right? And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you. Later, he said, the only sign that'll be given is that of the prophet Jonah, three days and nights in the belly of the whale. I'm going to die and be buried three days and rise from the dead. And that's it. And then it's a matter of faith after that. Now, it's interesting. If you have your Bible open, after dealing with the Pharisees, and 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 it gives this picture of Jesus sighing in his spirit and being grieved at their attitude, then Jesus spoke to his disciples in verse 15. So let's look at Mark 8, verse 15. And Jesus is the one speaking. He's giving orders to them. To who? To his disciples, to his followers. He says, watch out. Beware. Of what? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In another place, he mentioned the Sadducees, another religious group. But he didn't stop there. He also said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, what's he talking about? Leaven is some ingredient that causes Dole to change, to, to rise. Many of you cook with you know, self rising flour because it has, I think, what is it, baking soda that's in self rising flour? That, so your biscuits puff up. If you don't have self rising flour, your biscuits will be flat, right? But if you don't buy the self rising flour that already has the baking soda in it, you have to put something in, it, a leavening agent, yeast. There's others. And you put those in the dough, and what happens? It, it permeates the dough. It spreads in the dough, and it causes the dough to rise and get larger. And without it, your cupcakes would be, you know, tiny. Your cake would be tiny. Your biscuits would be tiny. Your, uh, you know, you get the picture. Your cookies would be flat. It's the yeast, it's the leaven, it's whatever that agent is that causes it to get bigger, that spreads and changes it and causes it to to get larger. Now, here's the thing. In the New Testament, when, when, when the Scripture talks about the leavening process, it's always used in a negative manner. Is always referring to sinful and evil influences, ungodly influences that leaven in that act like yeast and get bigger within us if we allow them to get in us. And so Jesus here is sounding a warning to his disciples, to his followers, and and, and therefore to you and me, to us today, to be careful. To be aware of the leavening process, the, the 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 growing process for evil, for for behavior that that's that's not necessarily godly that can come from both the Pharisees and Herod. Now, who were those two groups? The Pharisees were a conservative religious group, and if you've been in church a long time, you know a lot about them. They 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 were filled with hypocrisy, they cared about rules, they created more than. People. It could be very judgmental. They were actually uh, uh, hostile to Jesus Christ. And there was a sense of spiritual pride and spiritual arrogance that caused them to think they were better than others, that caused them to look down on others. And and so Jesus is saying, hey, be be careful because if you allow religious hypocrisy and religious arrogance to to get in you, it can make you something other than what Christ has saved you to become. We get that, right? You, You understand what he's saying? And then he said, beware of the leaven of, the Pharaoh, of, of Herod. Now, who was Herod? He was a tetrarch. He was one of the kings in Galilee where Jesus spent most of his uh, ministry. Herod was ruthless. If somebody got in Herod's way, he took them out. Herod uh, stole his brother's wife. He was an adulteress. He was a murderer. But he was also somebody who was interested in religion. Mark's gospel and, and the other gospels, you know, Herod it tells us that Herod enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. And he didn't want to kill John the Baptist. He liked him. He enjoyed listening to him. But you remember the story of his wife that he'd stolen from his brother, her daughter dancing for him in a provocative way and him getting carried away and promising her all this, whatever she wanted pretty much. And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on the plate. And even though Herod didn't want to do it, he did it and had John the Baptist executed, right? Because to save face, to save his position, he would go against what he knew was right and what he really wanted to do. You ever known anybody like that in public life? <laughs> what about Jesus? Do you know that Herod, he had heard about Jesus for a lot of reasons. Not simply because Jesus was popular and people were talking about him, but because... Herod had a steward, which is the person who oversaw his household affairs. That steward had had a, a wife, and in the Gospel of Mark, the wife of Herod's steward was one of the women who was a follower of Jesus Christ and financially supported his ministry. And so he had inside information on Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was arrested in Jerusalem before his crucifixion, brought before Pilate, Pilate, you remember at one point, sent Jesus to Herod. and, and, And the Gospels tell us that Herod was all excited and glad to see Jesus because he had been wanting to see Jesus and wanting to talk to him. He just didn't like the way the conversation went that day. And then it says that he mocked Jesus and put a purple robe on him, the sign of royalty, as a way to make fun of Jesus and send him back to Pilate. So, yeah, there was religious interest, but there was no authenticity to it. There was a group in the Gospels who existed at that time called the Herodians who were the political party that supported King Herod. And the Gospels tell us that the Herodians and the Pharisees conspired together to trap Jesus and to have him executed. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to us and he says, Beware. Watch out. Watch out. Beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of of Herod. Jesus is warning us that as we go through life and participate in life and participate in the things in our country, he's warning us to be careful and to guard ourselves against the corrupting influences of religious hypocrisy and political ambition. He's warning us. He's saying, "Don't allow that leaven. Don't allow that yeast. Don't allow the the baking soda of those things to get inside you and and grow in you and make you something that that doesn't reflect what you're supposed to be as a follower of Jesus Christ." Billy Graham, who's you know for years in Time Magazine one of either the first or second most respected man uh, in in America and in the world for decades and. I had the privilege of meeting him and talking with him, of being there when Graham was broken for his uh, headquarters up here in Charlotte and an invite in attendance at his funeral. Great man of God. But Billy Graham acknowledged that he learned the lesson of what Jesus is saying in this verse the hard way. See, he was America's pastor. All the way back in the 1940s, beginning with Harry, Truman, all the way up until uh, 2010 when he met with President Obama, Billy Graham was the pastor to presidents. He was the pastor to America. He officiated funerals. He was at all of the, he was a great man, and and he witnessed to them, and he prayed with them, and, and he was there during times of crisis, and thank God he was. But in the late 60s and early 70s, he learned a hard lesson because he got a little too close to a president named Richard Nixon. And became too identified with Nixon and too identified with Nixon's Republican Party of that day. And then later after Nixon resigned and those tapes, those secret recordings in the White House were released, Billy Graham was sickened to his stomach because this man that he considered a friend, he heard him on those tapes using language so horrendous that it sickened him because he said, that's not the man I know, but it's who the man was but he was also a few years later greatly embarrassed because on one of those tapes sitting in the White House, Billy Graham is recorded on tape making disparaging remarks, anti-Semitic remarks about certain Jewish leaders in America. And he later acknowledged that he got caught up in the moment when you sometimes are talking to people. We see it in church, at work, in life, in Sunday school, in families where somebody's talking about somebody and we kind of go along. We don't really agree with all of it, but we kind of go along. You ever been there? Huh? We all have play. He did it, and when it when it became public, because it was so contrary to everything he'd always done, he was humiliated, and he was publicly criticized. And some of that criticism never left. And it was rightful. He was rightfully criticized for what he said. It was horrendous. And he time and time and time and time again, Billy Graham would apologize for it, and did so much. After that, to make up for it with the Jewish community, he learned his lesson the hard way. And so, in his own words, in 2011, in an interview with Christianity Today, this is what Billy Graham said. Let me read it to you because I want to quote his words exactly. He says, I, and then he paused would have steered clear of politics. I'm grateful for the opportunities God gave me to minister to people in high places. People in power have spiritual needs and personal needs like everyone else, and often they have no one to talk to. But looking back, I know I sometimes cross the line, and I wouldn't do that now. In an earlier interview Before a crusade in New York, he said, if I get up and talk about some political issue, it divides the audience. What I want is a united audience to hear only the gospel. Many times in the past, I went too far in dividing people on such issues, and I think this time, I want to stick only to the gospel. Then on another occasion, he said, it is our job to preach the gospel. And that is what we need to do. Not get drawn into these other controversies. Now, as believers, we have the freedom and the privilege to participate, and we should. I'm going to vote this November. I encourage you to vote this November. I'm thankful for every man and woman who. Is a person of faith and integrity and, and godliness that that uh, that runs for public office, that serves in public office. I'm I'm thankful for every follower of Jesus Christ who engages in the community, engages in this culture to be salt and to be light and to have a positive impact that cares. And we need to do that. And I know you're thankful for that. But Jesus is saying to all of us, to those who serve and those of us who who vote and those of us who speak, He's saying. Be careful, be careful that you don't allow the yeast, the the fermentation process, the, the baking powder of those things to get inside you and begin corrupting you in some way. You have to be careful. That's the reason if you look in chapter 8, verse 15 again, how did Jesus begin this statement? It says he was giving orders to them. One translation says he was giving strict orders. In the Greek language of the New Testament, it's an imperative. It's a command. Jesus was not asking. Jesus was not suggesting. Jesus was commanding his followers to do what he says in this verse. And what he says is, watch out. Be aware of. Those words are similar yet different. The Greek word watch out means to, to see something, to perceive it. to It's physically there, to, to, to notice it. The word be aware of says not only to see it, but to understand it, to see it and think about it, to see it and reflect on it, to see it and, and consider the implications of it, to go a step further. See, you and I as followers of Christ, have we, we, we need to have enough integrity, enough integrity to be honest about the moral failures and the hypocrisy of both political parties and candidates of all parties. We need to have enough integrity as followers of Christ to call what is sin, sin, no matter who the president is of any era and any political persuasion. Otherwise, the yeast is corrupting us and blinding us. You see, I like my biscuits thick. By the way, I like my dumplings that way too. Don't like them skinny and hard, right? Now, my cornbread, I even like a little bit of sugar in it. (laughs) See, y'all, I moved from Kentucky and y'all rubbed off on me. Everything's got to have sugar in it down here. Just like these leavening ingredients causes things to rise and get bigger, what you and I allow inside us does the same thing, doesn't it? What we allow inside us it grows and gets bigger and gets stronger. It, it begins to shape our attitudes and our words and, 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 and our behavior, how we talk about people and talk about issues. It determines what we give our energy to, our time to, our heart to, our passion to, our influence to. And if we're not careful, it can begin to fill us and consume us and control us. So how, how can I know when I'm allowing the leavening processes of the Pharisees and, 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 and Herod and the political stuff to, to get too big in my heart and in my mind? Well, let, 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 here's, here's how I know in my own life, and I think it can help you know how in your own life, when we allow it to get too big, we talk about politics more than we talk about Jesus. When when we let it get too big, we spend more time debating with people than we do inviting people to church. When we let it get too big, we're more concerned about who's in the White House than we are who's going to hell. When we let it get too big, we can quote political talking points more than we can quote the Word of God. When we let it get too big, we spend more time watching Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC than we do ever reading the Word of God. When we let it get too big, we talk more like them than him. there's been times in my life I let it get too big. You ever been there? When I let it too big, my social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, looks like I hate everybody mad at the world instead of somebody who just loves Jesus and loves people. When I let it get too big, when I let that yeast get in there and start corrupting me. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 13, Jesus said, you're what? You're the salt. You're the salt of the earth. And salt causes things to last. It's a preservative. Salt causes things to taste better. But if salt has lost its tastefulness, okay, it's no longer good. It's no longer useful for anything except to be. Thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus said, you're to be salt that makes things better. You're to be salt that, 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 that preserves. You're to be salt that's good, salt that people like. And so I can't allow the leavening process of the Pharisees and the Herodians to corrupt the way I talk about people and the way I talk to people, the way I treat people. I can't allow those leavening processes to consume all of my energy and all of my time and all of my passion so there's nothing left for King Jesus and his word and evangelism and being a man of God or a woman of God that draws people to Christ. doesn't mean I don't vote. It doesn't mean I don't serve. It doesn't mean I don't participate. But when I do it, I do it as someone who's not been influenced by the attitude and behaviors of those other groups, but as someone who is a loving, generous, kind, devout, caring follower of Jesus Christ who cares about everything that matters, not just some things that matter. See, every day of life, it's like I open up one of these packets of yeast and I pour it in me. And what I put in me shapes who I am and what comes out of me. The last chapter of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach what? What? What is it, church? When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody that didn't know Jesus Christ? And compare that to the last time you had a political debate. Do you know the gospel? Can you quote the gospel? Can you quote the Scripture that explains the gospel? Do you know the gospel? As well as we know a lot of other things. And Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes. You see, the only thing in this world that has the power of God to change a human life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we talking about the gospel? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we learning the gospel? Is the gospel permeating us? Is the gospel growing in us? Is the gospel shaping us? Let me close with this, go back to Billy Graham. Even though he learned a lesson the hard way, he was a friend to presidents, as I said, from Truman in the 40s to Obama just recently. When they had the groundbreaking for his library, I believe it was 2005, 2007, somewhere in there and Several presidents were there. I, re- I can remember President Bush, the, the first President Bush, with whom Graham had a very close relationship. I remember him breaking down crying and sharing his testimony of, uh, uh, of Christ and, and, and Graham's influence in his life. And then in 2010, that, that photograph was taken as President Obama visited Billy Graham in his home at Montreat before they went up to West Virginia for a memorial service where some minors had died in an, in an explosion. And uh, Billy Graham gave two Bibles to Obama that day, one for him and one for his wife, Michelle. And, And you know what happened? Obama prayed out loud for Billy Graham that day. And Billy Graham then prayed for President Obama. Now, here's my question to me and to you. Can you be a friend with both President Bush and President Obama? Even if you don't agree with both of them on everything, Can you be kind and loving and a gospel-directed follower of Jesus Christ? That's what Billy Graham learned to be. And brothers and sisters, I don't know how to follow Jesus Christ in obedience to his word without trying our best and my best to do the same thing. Jesus gave strict orders. Watch out. Watch out. Be aware of. You see, we live in a messed up world. And if we're not careful, this messed up world will mess us up. That's why I love that song earlier about you know, God will not be shaken. But you've you've got to anchor yourself in him. You've got to let this other stuff get smaller in your heart and Jesus get bigger in your heart and anchor yourself in him so that as you live in this tumultuous, messed up, sinful world, you represent Jesus the way Jesus wants to be represented. With truth and with kindness. Because if you don't have truth, you're not worth hearing. And if you don't have kindness, nobody's going to hear you anyway. And if our purpose in life, our mission in life is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, then let's be devoted to truth and kindness. Can we do that? I think followers of Jesus can. And the beautiful thing? You and I have the freedom in America to do it without being fed to the lions. And whether or not we do it isn't dependent on how others act and isn't dependent on the circumstances we encounter. It's simply dependent on the fact that we are followers of King Jesus, of King Jesus, of King Jesus. He is our king. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Share the gospel. Share the truth. And do it lovingly. Let's stand. As we sing this song of invitation, pray for America. Come to the altar and pray for our country. The political discourse is horrible. The newscast, depressing. I don't even watch it anymore. Pray for America. Pray for all our leaders. Pray for yourself that you don't allow what's going on to corrupt you. Pray for yourself that Jesus will get bigger in your heart and your mind and your life and you'll talk about him more and you'll talk about the church more. You'll talk about the gospel more. pray that God will take away your fear. God will take away the anxiety that comes because you're not in control. It's all right. He is. Pray for the people in your life that that you can be a a godly leavening influence with. Pray that God will work in you to make you more like Christ every day. Pray that God uses you for his purposes. Pray that we will be the people of God. Come to the altar and pray. Come to one of these pastors and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus because that's the kind of Christian I wanna be. Or come and say, I wanna join this church and be a positive influence in this community pray a doubter. Let's sing together.